Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here tonight by our host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 462 on our network. This is the back end of a Wednesday doubleheader. Tomorrow, we're about to try something never been attempted before in the podcast Well, We have six podcasts tomorrow, so I'm enjoying this day of two right here, and we'll soak this up with Sal for the next 45 minutes to an hour. But before we get to Sal, just want to thank a couple of groups, Millions. Thank you for your marketing support. Go to the Millions link in this podcast uh, afterwards and take a look at our merchandise. Take a look at booking our hosts uh, for a number of things. I mean, use your imagination. You can be on there. They can be on your podcast. They can come speak at your events. Also, advertisers and marketing, use that link as well. Book me. You can also shop for experiences in addition to the merchandise where you can ask our hosts a question about their vocation, uh, could be a question about um, sports in general, could be a question about baseball-specific stuff, or in Sal's case, don't be afraid to venture into some other sports here. But uh, a lot of uses for millions here. Check out that link after the show. Jaw Bats, newest certified baseball bat, Major League Baseball, get your maple bat on the real voice of the game. RVG at checkout gets you a discount. Tanner's using his M110 model, lefty and righty, loves it both ways there. And then the kinetic arm. We did two shows with Jason Colloran, one with Jeff Fry, she gone. The other one this past week with, with Kevin Kernan and myself on coaching Kernan. The kinetic arm is the newest and it's patented five patents on it. We believe it is going to help cure the arm issues in baseball, major league, amateur youth baseball, tremendous uh, item. Tanner's using that as well as a catcher loves the external support on it. So, Kinetic Arm, use RVG DAG, capital D, small a, small g at checkout. Get you a discount on that as well. And we have a, uh, a hair product sale. Um, supposed to wow. cure our hat head a little bit. Monet will, uh, hair products, that'll be with us next week. We'll have more details on that, but just encourage people to check that out. We'll put the link in there. Just uh, anticipating a nice partnership with them. So with that, Sal, welcome back to your show. Dave, great to be here. Your your uh, attempt tomorrow reminds me of uh, Evil Knievel attempting to jump the Snake River Canyon. That, that's quite uh, not the same thing. You've got planned. I thought the same thing. I was going to try to get a graphic together with the B- Evil Knievel motorcycle with my head on it, with the list of six podcasts. That's but I'm great. Gonna, yeah, I, I I have in theory it looks good in my head, but I don't know if I'm quite that skilled artistically to pull that off. So, but I think we'll we'll be fine tomorrow, and the guests are all lined up. They've all been checked. They all know how to get on. We're ready to go. So, um, but good show today earlier with, we had uh, former New York Met Kevin Mitchell on, but you, you had your first show last night. I, you sent me the promo to it. I was teasing you on it. I said, you were the eye candy in the promo. Right. I kept going to you and, um, you, you, uh, but I got a chance to watch the first episode. Loved it. I mean, share, if you don't mind, share with the audience a little bit about that. Yeah, so real quick, uh, this was the second year I, I hadn't coached. I didn't coach football in, after 25 years of doing it. And 
I, I started getting the itch and through a contact, I reached out to a, an organization, to a company locally that does streaming games of all, most, most all high school sports, but they're real big in football. So I wound up doing some football games this fall and loved it and got to know the guy well enough that I proposed to him. We do a lacrosse, weekly lacrosse show highlighting the New Jersey lacrosse scene. And for people who don't know, lacrosse is a very, still considered a niche sport in some regards as far as where it's, where it really has its roots, but it's spread throughout the country. And New Jersey is probably one of the three or four hotbeds in the country where traditionally great talent comes from. Our high school games are phenomenal. You put on any top 20 matchup and you're going to get New Jersey kids on both teams and and mostly any big D1, D2, D3 teams, you're going to get New Jersey kids. So what we're going to do is have a weekly show and we're doing the four week lead into the season where we're going to reveal our top 25 teams at a time. We've got great guests. We had uh, the the number one, uh, the, the coach of the number one team in the state last year as our guest for our first show. Next week, we have uh, the, the, the head coach at Summit, which uh, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. The high school Hall of Fame is, is recognized as one of the best coaches in the country. We have a couple of other phenomenal coaches on the slate to be interviewed. And then we uh, will go into the season, have games of the week. We'll talk about games we broadcast. We'll talk about the recruiting scene. We also talk about those Jersey kids who are playing at the, the high D1, D2, D3 level and just kind of promote and support the sport in the state. Oh, it sounds wonderful. And, you know, with, with what your background is, I think that visibility of hearing people, because I always tell people when they ask me, what's Sal like? I said, you know, I, th- there's a lot of words I can use to describe you, but the one I always come to first is he's smart. Um, you know, and you can hear it on the podcast, but I think with you being that present in the localized world of lacrosse up there in New Jersey, I can't imagine, or I can imagine that uh, people will be seeking your counsel on training, both in what you do day to day, but also in lacrosse training with your co-host as well. And then even in recruiting, I mean, if you're covering it full circle, you're going to be fairly well tied in and connected to both the prep scene and the college scene. So, Well, and you know, Steve and I have coached together since uh, we started at Chatham 25 years ago. And I went with him and we coached together at the D3, D2, and D1 levels where we actually started a very successful Division II program at Mercy College in New York that yeah. we, were, we were ranked in the top 10 in our second year. And it's been a traditional power even after we left. We had turned that part uh, program over to our assistant who did a phenomenal job, took them to the national championship a few years ago and is now a Division I coach. So Steve and I have recruited – from uh, at the college level and we've been on the high school side of it and I've got the added uh, experience of having been through with three of my boys and uh, so that's unique but Steve is a great lacrosse coach and most everything I've learned about lacrosse I've learned from Steve so it's it's a great relationship and as in all my endeavors I've been lucky to be around great people and been able to learn about uh, learn from them regardless of what the subject is. And, and you're no exception to that. So oh, well, I appreciate you. That's kind knowing the the people you've been around for your career. And I didn't realize you and Steve had coached together for so long. That's a, 
that's a great marriage in terms of what you're trying to do right now. So. Yeah, our kids grew up together. Uh, our, my twins and his oldest son are the same age, and then his youngest son is a senior in high school. So the four of them grew up together playing lacrosse together. As a matter of fact, I just had a funny picture pop up in my feed. You know how Apple does that. They give you pictures for kind of some, some of them are random. And it was my boys and his two boys when they were real little goofing around. And it's, it's great to see that we have that connection and that we're still doing something with our coaching and we're coaching together. And, and what we're trying to do, Dave, is bring our concepts that we've worked, uh, that we've done with our team training and, and expand that to other areas, uh, other teams that aren't doing it. And well, I'll leave you with this and then we can move on to our show. But one of our messages is that in New Jersey, a lot of the successful public school teams are teams that keep their kids together in the summer and let them play together in the summer. A lot of teams have their kids go out and play for the various clubs. And that's that's kind of a, 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 a tough scene here. The, the, uh, the, the club sports in lacrosse has kind of gotten to be almost self-parody with how they are. And it's at the detriment or to the detriment of the kids into some of these towns. But we could talk about the team. We had the coach on last night from Ridgewood, who was the number one at the end of the season last year. And they have a, a huge push to keep their kids together. Now, their kids do club stuff in the summer, but they also play together in the summer, which is is the huge thing. And that that's what we promote. We When we work with our teams, Dave, when we have kids come in, say, from a local high school, they're not allowed to wear their club stuff. They have to wear their high school colors. They can't wear their club. Uh, we've had to, to take kids take to to te- I'm sorry. We've had to tell kids to turn their shirt inside out or to go put something else on because when you're with your town, you're with your town. Your club, you can do that on your own time. We're we're there to make them better for their town. Is there that bit? Is there that big of a either or with uh with a lacrosse? I know that it, it's. It used to be the way of the world. That's how you built. Um, yes. No, it's it's because it's gone. It, it's been an ebb and flow, or maybe it's not even an ebb and flow. Maybe more accurately, it's been a pendulum where I would say 20 years ago, um, as a matter of fact, to say it's not it's a, a, a bad story we had was our best player was going to North Carolina already, but they wanted him to play in some of these summer tournaments. He had never played a club game. And in his first club tournament, he tore his ACL and almost missed his senior year. We got him back to the point where he was still an amazing player. But we had so it went from that point about 22 years ago where you had a handful of kids playing to entire teams playing on clubs and no one playing together and playing separately. And then uh, but some of the best teams never got away from that. Chatham had an in-town program, Mountain Lakes, which is a legendary program. Um, they've had the same coach for 40 years. They always play together. Uh, some of their kids go and play on other clubs, but they still play together with their high school teammates. And so what we're hoping is that it swings back to the uh, to the town being together approach as we move forward. Yeah, that would be wonderful. It's tearing apart baseball, basketball, even football now with seven on seven getting bigger. You know, Steve, when Steve and I were recruiting in college, we would we would not field calls from the club coaches we would not be rude to them, but we would, you know, we'd basically say, yeah, we appreciate your input, but we're, you know, we're, we're talking to the high school coach because the high school coach is the one who sees these kids after a full day of school when they've contended with the other things in their life. Maybe they have to work. 
Maybe they had a fight with their girlfriend or their friends and they had to come back to practice and, and perform. So you, you get to see your kid in all kinds of environments or in all kinds of situations. So uh, I think that's where the value of the high school coach comes in. Now, were you, and I don't mean to keep making it go longer, but I'm curious, is that, were you one of the few that did that or was that prevalent? That did what? That just locked in on the high school coach as opposed to the. Um, I think. Um, I think it's not as uncommon now. I think the, again, the club coach thing, the pendulum has swung away. So I think your, your, um, your, your programs are going to still talk to those coaches, Dave, because your blue chips are still playing some of those club sports. So it's almost like, you know, from your recruiting, um, involvement that the best of the best, they can pretty much do whatever they want. So unfortunately, I'm sure the college coaches speak to some of these club coaches, but what we're talking about is that those solid players that maybe don't go to the marquee high school or can't make the marquee club for financial or uh, opportunistic reasons. So we were looking for those kids because we were not at a blue chip program. When we built Mercy, which we turned into a blue chip program, we went after those kids that were, were good enough to play at those schools, but for whatever reason, weren't going to go there. And uh, that's what helped us get that program started. And like I said, now there's so many kids playing that there's a lot of those kids out there. There's a lot of kids. If you look at the top 20, that's 200 kids. If you think every school's taking 10 kids a class, give or take, there's got to be a thousand kids that are close to that skill level. So there's a lot of spots for them at, at the other schools, which is why we're getting um, why we're getting teams that weren't traditionally powerhouses, giving them the ability to move up because there's more kids playing. Yeah, they. I, I think that's great. We, you know, with our one-on-one group, we've done 720 kids getting to school on scholarship now. Basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball. Um, but yeah, we have to wrestle with that with every kid because it's unique. Uh, every kid's got a different team of people around them now, and boy, it's it's uh, it makes it hard when everybody's not flying in the same direction. And you know, sometimes it's less is more when we're just dealing with the kid and the family, and the coaches are willing to you know play supplemental parts and not care who gets the credit with uh, the signing. But no, I think it's good stuff. We wish you luck with that. Make sure we get the link so I can put that out there we'll to our it. audience here and push our. 68,000 now that are, uh, that love hearing you every week, push them to the, the, uh, the streaming lacrosse streaming so they can hear you a couple times a week. So why well, I, the, the first article I read where, again, we talk protein almost every week and you've got me on more of a protein kick now where I'm very deliberate about, uh, protein intake day to day. And it's really helped me out a ton, especially with, um, me being active with the four kids um, I'm out there playing, you know, as a 50 year old and, uh, and still training for ultras. So, uh, there's that article you sent about, you know, again, banging on protein, protein causing, uh, damage to your arteries. And it's really not that it's, it's not, um, kind of start you off there. Well, that is a great lesson in, you know, this whole concept that we're pushing of being your own expert. And we're going to go to, uh, this, this quote study that says protein eating or sorry, you might be eating an artery damaging amount of protein for breakfast. New study warns. And the problem is 
just like the Harvard study that included fast food and lasagna in the red meat category, this study was done, Dave, using Boost Energy Drink or whatever it's called, a nutritional drink, as the protein source, which is laughable when you look at the ingredients. Here, here are the ingredients in the in the Boost nutritional drink: water, sugar, milk protein concentrate. Here we go: corn syrup, vegetable oil, which could be canola and high oleic sunflower oil and corn oil, uh, cocoa pro- processed with alkali, soy protein isolate, and a, a bevy of other g- garbage ingredients. So that is the protein that they're equating with eating not even grass-fed, you know, high-quality protein. They're just equating protein in general with that chemical slurry of garbage. Yeah, and it's it's really misleading, the, the title. And as you had said in your note to me, and I think somebody even wrote it in, on Instagram under there, it should say sugar and canola. Yeah, it's sugar and canola oil. All the things were being that are are known to have been causing uh, metabolic issues. And on top of that, it's, it's a week after we were, uh, we were told from another study that um, the, the sugar industry had basically paid off the experts to blame fat for all of our health problems. So there, there's no um, good news coming out of the, quote, expert class. You know, that, that to me is amazing that back in 1967, the sugar industry paid uh, Harvard scientists to publish articles, not an article, but articles claiming sugar and processed foods are healthy. And that was in 67. And you could go back and draw the line and look at the horrendous outcomes since that point. No, I, I agree. It's been been going on. And I, I hope people are reading beyond. We've always challenged people on this show to read beyond the headlines and even question the, the content like we're doing right now. Was there anything else in there that, that we're missing that? that no, we're... I think, you know, you can't, I don't think there's a need to beat a dead horse. I think when people start to see these stories that's te- that are telling you protein is bad, the first thing that should cross your mind is A, it's BS and it's run by, it's being driven by agenda. It's not being driven by science. And every, at every turn, when you look under the rock, to see what the details are, you find that, maybe that's a mixed metaphor, when you look to find the details, you find that you're being lied to, that the, the facts are being misrepresented. Yeah. Now, what about this article? And I read it through it too. I saw it. Um, I wish I had sent it to you first, but of the 99 million vaccinated, or yeah. that there, you want to go deep into that a little bit? Well, what, what were your, give me your your bullet points there. Well, let's address some of the things here. Well, there was, there was, I mean, the study revealed increases in the things we talked, we've talked about yeah. in terms of neurological damage, blood issues, heart conditions, clotting, um, abnormal clotting, I say, because clotting is normal in some regards, um, all associated with the, the VAX. Right. And also uh, autoimmune Problems. Yeah. Uh, we had Gillian Gillian Barr and uh, Bell's palsy becoming a, a known side effect. So yeah, I mean, I was kind of facetious, but the reason again, this is just like the protein studies. We're 
this this is not and 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 the dip not, not the difference the similarity is the experts knew all this this was all known from the beginning these uh safety studies were never revealed to the public we could go again beat a dead horse but there's no kind of trustworthy source of information anymore with our health and fitness and nutrition and how to take care of yourself medically it goes back to our point about be your own experts the yes. stuff that the stuff that they're finding and now that's commonplace being talked about on the internet is the stuff that were that was getting people suspended from social media in the ninth, in 2020 yeah and you know what's going on in great britain their prime minister was an investor in i believe it was moderna and was responsible for the vax this was before he was prime minister and england the uk has shut down kind of stalled out their in their research i'm sorry their inquiry into these side effects there's a blatant conflict of interest there you have people high up in their government who who either were part of big pharma or who left government to go to big pharma and or who have a spouse that works for big pharma and or vice versa so there's been all kinds of shady dealings with this and again it's the old saying they followed the money but the fact that the pm of you of the uk the prime minister of the uk was involved with the investment firm that started moderna and the treatment that that company has gotten in the build-up to the vaccine being produced and distributed, and now the cover they're giving it as the world is falling down around their ears with all of these side effects, the excess deaths in that 50, I believe Great Britain had a huge increase in excess deaths between 50 and 65, something of the order of almost 200,000 people. So in a, in a, in a two, in a two year period or some astronomically high number. So, there's no good news, again, no good news coming out of the expert class when it comes to health, nutrition, nutrition, and and medical care for yourself. Yeah. And I, I have not looked into this. I, I caught the headline, so I'm guilty of not doing what I ask others to do. But are, are we now in collaboration with China on a bird virus? Well, it looks like we're doing that gain of function research with bird flu. And they're trying, and, and they're, for whatever reason, they're trying to make it more effect, infectious. You know, they, the whole concept that they have to create these fake diseases, these man-made diseases, to anticipate the possibility of a natural disease coming and wreaking havoc on us really is a, a kind of, a, I guess to me, I would describe that as A, insane, but then also it's also circuitous, circuitous logic. You're, create, you're creating the problem. You're not waiting for a problem problem, and then responding to it. Now, and that, that might not sound like the best path, but how could the thought of let's make something more virulent and then try to get a vaccine for it, how could that be a good idea, especially what we know now that the, the flu came out of the Wuhan lab? I mean, to me, we're flirting with disaster. Oh, I, I agree. It's just, a, it's the same old, same old. And uh, hopefully we don't fall for same stuff we did last time. It's, you know, in faith and reason are two good things to keep you, keep you humble 
but also not be blind with the faith. And it usually leads to truth. I hope hope as a country we're a little bit, at least our leadership's a little bit better this time around with keeping us on track with all that stuff and not not panicking regarding it. Well, we got uh, this. I know I'm, I'm a contributor on this next one. And again, I don't know how much of it's true. Just 12% of Americans are eating half of the beef supply. I put that in our. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. So it was was a post on social media. And the one post uh, was from, uh, I'm sorry, the one headline was from the New York Post. It said 12% of Americans, mostly men, are eating half of our beef supply. And then from another outlet, there was a story, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So I think that adds up to 100%, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's funny. It reminds me of a story when we were kids. There was um, a, th- a thing called a lawn job, and kids would drive across someone's lawn, and it would leave tire tracks. And then, uh, you know, it was like a, a kind of a harmless plank, prank. It was usually you did it to a buddy's house, and, and it was kind of all fun and games. Well, one week – there was a story about uh, someone had driven across someone's lawn and in the bushes up front, they found two Chevrolet hubcaps, blah, blah, blah. And then le- later in the pro- in that same story about the police blotter, all the goings on in our small town, there was uh, the name of the, of the person uh, said that two of their hubcaps were stolen off of their same model car that the hubcaps were found in the bushes and no one ever put two and two together that it might've been that guy's car that went through the guy's lawn and, and wound up getting stuck in the bushes. But you've, you've got a great illustration here of the, the answer to our problems are right in front of us, but we don't want to basically admit it and, and, and fix the problem. Simply we, uh, we have the same at the same time, we have the story that Biden's administration is using taxpayer money to uh, fund research into trash-fed crickets that we're supposed to eat. So how about we just eat the meat that's already, you know, it's funny, Dave, if someone says you want a plant-based diet, you say, well, I eat meat, that's plant-based because that's what cows eat. Yeah. No, I, I, I read that as well. The, it's good, good that our taxpayer money is going toward cricket consumption. We, um, I got asked the other day, cause you know, we homeschool our kids and they wanted to know how we teach them about money and things like that. And one of the questions in there was, do you, do you show them, how do you teach them about taxes? And I kind of avoided the answer. And then I read your, I got that note from you on Instagram. So like, you know what, let me address taxes. And I said, you know what, buy them a, buy them a banana split and put it in front of them, watch their face, see how much they smile then slowly slide it away from them, eat half of it. And then put it back in front of them and see see how the look changes on their face. That's tax yeah. right there. So, um, but yeah, the cricket consumption. That's I, I remember seeing stuff like that. Not to go TV land, but on Shark Tank and just laughing like seriously that people are doing that. But it was it was pushed pretty heavily in a lot of those um, natural food organic stores. I mean, to the point where people that I know are that are I, I deem as intelligent and healthy were diving straight into cricket consumption. Yeah, I knock yourself out. That crickets are are gross. They're dirty. There is a question about something. I, I believe it's pronounced chitin, C H I T A N. That's an oh, yeah. ingredient that comes from their shell that um, can be a sir, uh, pose a problem to the human digestive system. 
it's they have parasites there's no way i'm eating bugs knowingly unless i'm being forced to so this is just another attempt to control the food supply we are in danger of having our freedom to feed ourselves removed there's people who don't realize this again we've talked about it one of my reasons for bringing this about is the more people that become aware of it the more people will have to push back we have too many people that are going to go docilely uh, and quietly into the good night and just eat what we're being told to eat instead of what we know works for us and has worked for us for tens and thousands of years. You still have all this disinformation, not even disinformation, false information that hunter gatherers were not meat eaters. But that just kind of is ridiculous when you realize the conditions that people lived in five, 10,000 years ago, what, what did people do for food in the colder climates that were covered by ice, the Inuits, the people who lived in the frozen regions of the zone, they obviously didn't die out and they obviously didn't have uh, plants to eat. So there's all kinds of disinformation, misinformation that's being pushed on us. We need people to be able to fight back or else we're not going to have the ability to eat what we want. There was a post, one of the accounts I follow on Instagram, carnivore bear, about the decline in butter consumption, again, matches the increase in our failing health. And we need, we, I think at one point in the 20s, the average person ate 21 pounds of butter a year. Now we're eating six pounds of butter and we need to replace that what we did was we replaced that butter with seed oils and vegetable oil and all other unhealthy substances. We need to kind of reverse that trend. Uh, my feeling is we're closer to having butter banned than we are to having uh, butter make a resurgence amongst the people. So uh, again, because we have too many people who don't know what the heck's going on and they're too lazy to, to get themselves educated. Yeah. Well, if, if people are going to rely so heavily on that constant input of social media and whatever they see on, on TV, they've got to understand that at one point in time, there was a reality as we're talking about, and that reality slowly been replaced. It looks like, you know, I use butter, right? It looks like butter. It smells like butter. It tastes like butter, but it's not butter. They replaced it with margarine or, or something else. And they've done the same thing with all information out there. Well, whether it's food, healthcare, um, you know, you, you name it, border patrol. Um, they replaced it with a new reality that kind of looks like it, but it's not. And then they've controlled the way we see it. And it's, uh, we, we really have to put a stop to that. I know we're doing an, our, our small part here, but, uh, I would encourage people to use that formula on everything out there. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think what's happened too, is people's heads are filled with such crap 24 seven, you know, the concept of doom scrolling where you're going through social media, and more people can tell you about Madonna falling on stage or or Taylor Swift's goings and, and, and her albums than can tell you about good nutritional practices and can't differentiate on the basis of the facts in front of them between this nonsense that's being passed off, like eating crickets versus eating a natural steak that... I think we're we're in a. I've said it before. I'm I'm kind of pessimistic that people are going to be able to make the switch. I I don't see it happen. I don't see it happening. 
make the switch regarding what? You know, coming back to oh. get to the point where everyone's eating butter. Because I look at, in my small circle of clients who know what they should be doing and still don't, and will go and eat whatever they want, take the Manjaro or the o Ozempic, and I'm talking about both uh, family, friends, and, and clients that know better. They almost want to believe the crap, Dave. They want to believe the nonsense because they don't want to make a change. And they can always say, well, I listened to my doctor instead of realizing that their doctor was wrong and trying to find the right information for themselves rather than to just blindly go and be lazy and be able to blame someone else for their ills. Yeah. Well, you, you probably see it as much in what you're talking about, these big these big issues, you see it on a day-to-day -day basis too with people with exercise, I imagine, where lots of people know what they're supposed to do, but very few, you know, do what they know. And that takes discipline. It takes discernment. It takes, you know, what I mentioned before, a little, little bit of faith. And But, you know, and, you know, they've got somebody like you, but reason too. They, they've got to come to the truth in some capacity. Well, what else we got? Now, what else did, we, did you want to cover that we haven't hit on? Well, I, I had spoken a bit about... Um, the difference between high intensity and low intensity on my Instagram. And we talked about, um, by, by definition, if something is high intensity, it's got to be low vo volume. And that means you can't be spending an hour and a half in the gym and, and do low intensity. And I use the example of sprinting versus distance running. If you look at someone that's going out for a five-mile run, that's not high intensity. It might be difficult. It might be hard, quote, but it's not high intensity versus a sprint workout where you're sprinting 100 yards as fast as you can, resting an, an appropriate amount of time for that kind of effort, and then repeating that over a six to eight to 10 minute period. The five minute, the five mile run, even for someone who's accomplished, could be, you know, 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes <clears throat> versus the sprint workout, which is six, seven, eight minutes. There's your great example of high volume versus high intensity. Yeah. And there's a difference between the two. They both can be difficult if done correctly. A high, a high volume workout can be beneficial if, if it's done correctly. The problem is too many people can fake you can fake a high volume workout you can't fake a high intensity workout like give an example of that high volume uh you go to the gym and you do 10 sets of 15 sets of legs you do leg extensions you go to leg curl you go to leg press you go to smith machine you go to calf raises and before you know it it's an hour and a half and you've been sitting down or lying on a bench most of that time and you've done four sets of 10, let's make the math easy because I'm no genius, four sets of 10, that's 40 reps on five different things, that's 40 times five, there's your 200, that's 200 reps uh, versus your explosive lifts, which you're going to do three to five sets of, say, five reps, and maybe you'll do that twice, so maybe you'll do six to 10 sets of five reps. So there you're talking 60 reps versus 400 reps. And in a shorter period of time, 
you're going to do those 60 reps versus the longer period of time. You're going to do the high rep sets. So there's high intensity versus low intensity. And the high intensity workout you faked, I'm sorry, the high volume workout you have faked because you're not getting anything out of leg extension, leg curl, leg press, Smith machine, and calf raises. Yeah. And just by some by simply reducing the rest time in between, you could change that workout into at least a more intense. No, it's still oh. high volume. That would it's not gonna be there's no intensity when you're doing four sets of ten over multiple pieces of equipment. There's no way you could fake that. That's still high volume. The nature of that a ten rep set that you could do multiple times is high volume by definition. Okay. Give, there's give no me. There's no, that could be, now, to your point, Dave, doing that properly without doing those machines, but say doing free um, ground-based compound movements, even if you're doing a standing military press or a curl and press with dumbbells or what's called a muscle-up, which is kind of a, a mash-up of a couple of lifts that CrossFit has made popular, or pull-ups, high-volume pull those that's very difficult. That's very hard, but it still could be high volume. It's low volume by nature is low, uh, is higher intensity. So that higher intensity, you're never going to have by those definitions, high volume and high intensity. Sounds good. Now, so like I said, if you did, if you're in the best shape of your life and what, like I know some of my field sport athletes can do, 10 110 yard sprints finishing 14 seconds with a minute rest so you're talking about about uh, a 12 minute 13 minute time period 14 minute time period okay. that you're going full out that as soon as you start Dave to slow down if you if someone if I took an, an, an unconditioned athlete out, but that's an athlete. They could probably fake two or three of those one tens and get 14, 15 seconds. But you know what's going to happen on that third or, or that fourth or fifth one when they're only getting 50, uh, 60 to 75 seconds rest? That's going to go from 14 or 15 seconds to 18 or 19 seconds. And then the, the one after that is going to go to 22 seconds. And then they'll be puking by the time you got to the seventh, sixth or seventh one because they're not in shape enough. And for them, they could only do two or three before they gave out. And then it no longer becomes uh, a, a purposeful for the, for the sake of doing a high-intensity workout. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You answered the question I was going to ask uh, as a follow-up before I had to ask it. That means we've been working together too long. Yeah. Now, do you, do you, um, you, you also did a post on it, so I'm, I'm guessing you're okay chatting a little bit about it, uh, your hip. Yeah. But that's a reality that a lot of people go through, um, you know, at some point in time in life. I know we, Jim Cott just had, had, had it done. Um, I know you're, you're in the process. Would you mind talking to the realities of, you know, to that, you know, people paying attention to it, maybe what you're going to have to go through? Yeah, I mean, the, the, when the hip gets to the point where it needs to be replaced, it's my right hip. It, the original injury occurred, you know, innocently enough, I was running – pass routes for my son who was going to be a freshman in high school was a quarterback and I planted ran to run a slant route planted on my right foot and when I went to my left with my right foot planted I felt a, 
a click and pop in my right hip. And it took a little bit for me to get my feet back under me and, and feel okay. And there was always a little something there and I had it looked at and it was an, a labrum issue. And basically to give you the cliff notes version, you know what the eventuality is going to be. And I did everything I could from a mobility and conditioning standpoint until I could no longer do it, which was this summer and got to the point where I was not just kind of uncomfortable and had to, to adjust, adjust, but that I no longer was able to move and I was restricted in certain movements. And I, I think I've mentioned it to you. Think about sitting in the chair, bending over to, t- to tie your shoes. Can't do it on the right side because that flexion of the hip, what happens is the hip gets bone on bone. You lose the space in the hip. So the ball of your hip socket is pressed up against the your pelvis, the, the hip, the socket in your, in your hip socket, uh, your hip bone. And it just shortens that leg, right? It has the practical effect of my right leg becomes shorter than my left and you compensate. And I compensated to the point where, again, you just can't do it anymore. And then it becomes painful. And the worst part of it is not the hip itself, but it's the, the, the muscle spasms I'm getting in my, uh, mostly in my glutes as a result of the compensations. And there's things I could do that alleviate it and it comes and goes, but when it's, it's bad, it's, it's super uncomfortable. And, uh, when I get it warmed up and moving, it's actually pretty good. I could convince myself that I could do some things, but there's just, you know, the limitations of things I flat out can't do. So, uh, and I'm posting on Instagram things I'm doing both that I can do and then things that I uh, cannot do. So I'm going to have something go up later today of uh, one of my uh, one of my go-tos to try to help my mobility. Now, you, I'm sure you're you're making some adjustments now, but in your normal day-to-day jump rope, two, jump two. rope, I jump rope. I think that was one of my posts. Uh, I can't do it for as long. And I can't do the kind of boxer when you would see a boxer shift from foot to foot, kick the heel out, kick the toe up. Uh, that's very hard. But I could go the, the basic technique of staying on two feet. And I try to do like 30 seconds because I just want to maintain the strength in my foot and my leg. One thing I have yet to do, I was thinking of it today, uh, I'm definitely going to take a measurement of that thigh to see what kind of atrophy uh, I've experienced to this point and then track it through the surgery and post-surgery to see how it comes back. Yeah. Now, John, I love jump rope too. It's uh, thir- I do 13 minutes a day. And I, I found that my unilateral movements aren't as good as they used to be. You know, obviously, we're, we're, I'm 50 years old now. So I have to be more deliberate with, with making sure I work on it. Like you're talking about those single leg. I can't do as many in a row as I used to. And I'm not trying to be a hero and try to push myself beyond what's, what's comfortable, but I am, I'm cognizant of the fact that that's, uh, not, not quite as swift as I used to be, Sal. Yeah. Well, that's the unfortunate reality of aging, you know, uh, (laughs) I see it every morning in the garage doing my 13 minutes there. I spend more time on two feet now. What about the assault bike? That's another one of your staples. Phenomenal piece of equipment, both from a standpoint of, the level of conditioning it allows you to achieve to the to the cost of it. I believe I got that on sale before. I think it was right as the shutdown was occurring. I believe it was six ninety nine, 
Uh, I basically use it for interval training. I use it for my high-level athletes. They love Tabata intervals. To review that, Dave, a Tabata interval is a four-minute period of time. Here's here's our our high-level example of a high-intensity workout. Four minutes consisting of work to rest bouts of 20 uh, 20 seconds of work with 10 seconds of rest where the theoretical limit is as hard as you could go. So this is not to be judgmental or to sound uh, negative in any way, but the average person, even the average person who views themselves as being fit is not going to be able to do that kind of work to rest ratio for that four minute period and maintain their pace. So that's a great example. When they did, the reason it's called Tabata interval is because it was a professor, Tabata, a Japanese professor that studied this method with trained athletes. I believe they were skaters where they were, or they might've been cyclists, Dave, of working at 125% of their VO2 max, which is ridiculous. The average person couldn't even probably work at their VO2 max, whatever that would be, uh, for any period of time. And what they found was not only did their anaerobic conditioning improve, but their aerobic conditioning improved. So the what, what happens is when you can work at that level of intensity, it raises the level of all boats, so to speak, in that your cardiovascular uh, basis will also improve, not just your anaerobic, but your aerobic levels. So once you're a conditioned athlete, if you do a Tabata interval, especially on that assault bike, and you could do a couple of uh, of those intervals of four minutes, maybe you do four minutes, you rest four to five minutes, and you do a second one, that's all you need to do. But the, the assault bike is probably the best piece of equipment you could buy. It's similar to the Schwinn Airdyne. The Schwinn, the Schwinn Airdyne was kind of the forerunner of these but it's much more expensive than the uh, assault bike. Okay. Well, I've kept you over 45. I was trying to get you out early tonight. I know it's getting late. What, what do you want to leave the audience with? Be on the lookout for these fake studies. Be on the lookout for pr- propaganda, which this is all becoming. Uh, wh- what I did want to talk about, Dave, was that these vegan outlets are now having to put animal products in their food to make it palatable and to make people eat it. So right there, we have an admission from the vegan community that their philosophy is not sustainable. Beyond Meat had to change their formulation. They are going away from pea protein, and now it's going to be lentils. Uh, anyone who thinks there's going to be a different outcome is not worth trying to convince. Otherwise, it's still not going to be good. It's still not going to be replacing meat. Nothing's going to replace meat. So be on your toes when you see these stories. Read into the details. Someone tells you protein is bad for you, ask them, well, what are you qualifying, classifying as protein? What's what's that definition there? And as in the story we talked about to kick things off today, you're talking about some protein that's mixed with seed oil and sugar, which is why it's unhealthy for you. It's not the protein. It's it's the old example, Dave, of if your grandmother put toenails and hair from her hairbrush into the sauce, no matter how good it tasted, 
it's not going to be good for you and it's not something you want to eat. So that's how I look at a lot of these foods here. A lot of these substances, they're qualifying, classifying as protein. Well, that visual right there would prevent me from doing it. And right. I said, you, just, you ruined my late night snack here. So I won't be snacking tonight with that going on. But that's a good, uh, great, appreciate the show. It's a great, great show today. I know it's a long day for you. Uh, best of luck with the with the, the new lacrosse show. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Well, what everyone could do is they could go to Big State Sports on YouTube and you could subscribe. You'll see they do a, an unbelievable job, Dave. They have a complete uh, professional studio set up at Morris County College in Randolph, New Jersey, that this guy, George Muha, started on his own and turned into now it's a major course of study at the school. Uh, they have a green, uh, a green room. They have two sound stages with green screens and all the trappings and all the cameras and all the audio. If you watch the show, I think it's got a high production value. I think Steve and I are probably the lowest part of the production value there. But the graphics are great. They really do a great job, and they do a great job televising, or, or I should say streaming, all high school sports from football to ice hockey. They're huge with the ice hockey. We are in the playoffs here in New Jersey. We have very competitive high school hockey here. Uh, they do a great job. So it's big state sports on YouTube, and you could subscribe there. And the show we have is called Unsettled Situation with Steve and Sal. Unsettled Situation uh, for lacrosse is kind of like a fast break when you have a man up, like you're, you're coming down the field, you're catching the other team, whether they haven't gotten their guys on the field on time or it was a turnover, that's considered an unsettled situation. It's kind of like a fast break in basketball. Okay. So uh, that's that's what you want to look for. Unsettled situation on big sport. I'm sorry, big state sports on YouTube. And just remind your Instagram because you put a lot of content up there. Yep, it's Coach Sal's Playmakers. Perfect. Well, with our audience, we appreciate your support climbing uh, past 68,000 now. If you're interested in merchandise, you're interested in in um, booking, how's it? Well, one of our hosts for an experience, whether it's just a simple question asked, something a little bit deeper, uh, we'll have that in our, our shop. You can shop for either one of those, merchandise also. You can book one of our guys or women with, with, with KFT to speak at your event, to speak virtually. Also, advertisers can go on the book me option as well and, and propose a bid for our podcast network. Jaw Bats RBG at checkout gets you a discount. Kinetic Arm RBG DAG at checkout gets you a discount. Be on the lookout for Monet uh, self-care products. We'll, we'll, we'll announce that a little bit more next week. And with that, Sal, we appreciate what you do. And um, we uh, will look forward to following you on that lacrosse show and Certainly look forward to your, your show next week. Thanks a lot, Sal. This is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Thanks, Dave.